how can we recognize people that are living it on a day-to-day basis? So for us, it just started with the Fab Award. How can someone submit an idea on how they are going to find a better way to do something? And we don't really care what that something is. And how do we make sure that we're not the suggestion box company, right? That we're not just, uh, you know, that company with a little wooden box, uh, you know, somewhere in the plant with the little slot on top and someone has the guts to come by and just drop the suggestion in there. Nothing's ever done with it. And by the way, could you please tell me, I, this is a riddle I have not figured out. Why is there a lock on the suggestion box? You don't want someone to like steal the ideas? Yeah. Like, isn't that the point? Yeah, <laughs> please steal the ideas. How are we gonna use them? Welcome to episode four of Managing the Way, a show that exists to help you, the manager, build a great team. So today I'm talking with Matt Young, who's the co-founder of Comfort Research. And Matt shares the 20-year history of Comfort Research from founding it while he was still in college and some of the lessons that they learned ignoring some of more conventional wisdom around strategic planning, how to build a culture, and all those sort of things. And it's really interesting, and Matt does not disappoint on the passion that he brings. So let's jump into the interview with Matt. Well, good morning. We're talking with Matt Young, co-founder of Comfort Research. Uh, So, you know, you guys started in, what, 1996? 96. Right out of college. Not even. We were were juniors in college. Uh, Our kickoff was uh, somewhere... Uh, it might have been the week between Christmas and uh, New Year's that we're like, we are going to do this. Yeah. Uh, somewhere in, uh, might have been uh, 95. So uh, we just say 96 at this point. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So tell me about those early days. You guys, you know, <laughs> what 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 was the, you just wanted to be in business for yourself or you just wanted to create a cool company? You had an idea. Yeah. Like, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, that was certainly, uh, you know, always, uh, you know, my intent. Uh, you know, from an early age, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always knew I was, uh, you know, loved business. My dad's an entrepreneur. Um, you know, he ran radio stations, then bought a radio station that ended up not working, uh, you know, out for, uh, you know, for him. But I always saw this, uh, you know, that this passion around, uh, you know, him and same with both my uh, grandfathers, you know, one was a flower farmer came up with his own uh, strain of uh, geraniums. Uh, that was a big uh, part of what he did. And uh, another, my other grandfather, he w- ran a hobby shop in Chicago. Yeah. And so like, I've always been surrounded by entrepreneurs, and I never really considered, uh, you know, another another path. Yeah. And so coming into Hope College, uh, you know, Hope College was kind of un- unique in that uh, they didn't offer a wide array of business type of, uh, you know, degrees. And so there was kind of three options. You can get a business administration degree, an accounting degree, an econ uh, degree. And so I went to uh, uh, one of my friend's uh, dads who I, I admired. He, uh, you know, was a uh, started up his own, uh, you know, printing company. And I talked to others as well, but I'm like, hey, you know, there's these three options for uh, business at Hope College. And, um, you know, what do you think? I'm thinking about going the econ route because just, you know, business administration, uh, you know, degree, how can I get a little bit something more? He's like, you plan on teaching? (laughs) Like, well, no, which is ironic how much you do turn into a teacher eventually, you know, as, uh, you know, your career changes and you're doing less doing and you're doing more doing more teaching. But yeah. anyways, he's like, well, get a county degree and uh, now you're going to have a, you know, you're going to have a, a skill. And so I spent four miserable years <laughs> learning accounting <laughs> at, uh, at Hope College. It had nothing to do with them. It was all about, uh, you know, me. And it was just not something that really filled my bucket. But it did give me, uh, you know, something to understand uh, business. So that was the path I was taking. Yeah. And uh, it, uh, yeah, it kind of, kind of worked out. So 
came up with this, uh, you know, product idea with uh, my business partner, Chip, uh, you know, buddy of mine, fraternity brother, uh, you know, as well. And so we just, we just started making them, yeah. just started hustling and, uh, you know, tried, uh, you know, cutting and sewing up some, uh, you know, fabric, was a, which was a terrible t- disaster. <laughs> Apparently, we don't know how to cut, nor do we know how to sew. You think that at least the first part would have been easy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we, uh, you know, really struggled with it and um, eventually found a uh, company in, in Holland, Holland Stitchcraft. I, I don't know if they're still there, just north of uh, Holland on uh, 31. But they were a contract manufacturer for uh, cut and sew. And yeah. so we started getting covers made, and we'd go around to different colleges and universities, and we'd sell directly to students out of the back of a, a suburban and you know bigger universities. We'd bring a, a U-Haul as well. And we'd sell to students anywhere we could get either on campus or off campus. And uh, one of our uh, early uh, opportunities, uh, I guess, I guess it was uh, 1997, I was at uh, Michigan uh, State, and I'm, I'm selling to, uh, in front of the bookstore off on the east side of campus there. And we had been uh, approaching Meyer for quite some time, and this is back in the day where the buyer would, you know, answer the phone. They got the, you know, the office phone, yeah. and Chris Kirkbride uh, was his name, and, you know, I'd call him up and be like, hey, you know, we've got this new product, uh, you know, this foof chair, you know, what do you think? And eventually he's just like, Matt, we are never, ever, ever going to buy this product. Please stop calling me. Yeah. He said it probably a lot nicer than that, but that's what I heard. And so I'm in East Lansing, and I realize, oh, one of my buddies, his father is the East Lansing store manager. And so um, I uh, call up my buddy. I'm like, hey, do you think your dad will take an appointment with uh, you know with me? And I want to pitch foof chairs, uh, you know, to him. So yeah. now, mind you, this is welcome re- week. You know, middle of uh, you know August. It's hot as he- you know heck out. I've been slinging uh, bags uh, all day. And uh, now I got to pack up and I'm going to this guy's house, right? <laughs> and uh, my entire plan is like, you know, give him a chair, like he experiences it. And then when his kids, uh, you know, see it, like they're going to love it. And obviously they will, right. uh, you know, buy it. It didn't exactly work out that way. I did uh, basically throw the chair down in front of him like, hey, what do you think? And like, uh, he's like, oh, it's great. I'm like, will you buy some? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. That was awesome. And so <laughs> he orders these 50 uh, chairs and they sell through in like four days. Wow. He orders another 50 chairs. Those sell through. Orders another 50. And by the, by the time end of the, that cycle, that buyer, Chris Kirkbride, ends up giving us a call and saying, hey, if you guys would make something uh, for me at $49.99, uh, we're in business. So at that time, we really only had one size. Mm-hmm. And so it, we were selling them for 100 bucks. And so we made this smaller version in black, hunter green, and purple. So right. a little sign mm-hmm. of the times that yeah. those are the hot colors, right? Yeah, yeah. And so... That product ended up turning into the number one selling uh, uh, product at, at Meyer, which is wow. uh, just awesome. So we wow. had a really good run with them in the uh, in, in the early days. That's cool. And so they were our kind of our first really big break. Yeah. And so then did you guys scale pretty quickly in terms of like headcount of the company, like right out of the shoot, or was it just a no, do it all you can do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were just hustling our buns off to like yeah. try to find anybody that could, uh, you know, help us out. We would, uh, you know pay uh, with uh, pizza and, and beer and uh, yeah. like have these, you know, two day sessions where we would just crank out, uh, you know, as many chairs as we could. And, and so in the early days, we used this gas powered chipper shredder. And so it's like got a little 16 horsepower motor on it. You'd put a football size piece in it and it would grind it up and you'd have to wait. And it would take about 20 minutes to uh, to make a to shred up the foam to make the chair. And uh, when we got the, the Meyer account, it's like, okay, we need to, like, we got to go faster. 
they mm-hmm. ordered like 3,200, uh, you know, pieces. The first uh, batch was like 16, uh, you know, hundred. And I mean, that would have taken us forever, yeah. right? And so we find this uh, piece of farm equipment that this guy had converted over to electric. And uh, so it's, it's called a, a tub grinder. And so we buy this thing for like 7,000 bucks, having no idea how to run it, you know, but we found a space in Grand Rapids, a couple thousand uh, square feet, and we pull this big old shredder uh, in there. And like, we assume like, oh, you just plug it into the wall. Well, apparently it's more sophisticated than that. <laughs> and uh, so we have an electrician come in and he's like, you don't have enough power in this building to run this shredder. I'm like, enough power. He's like, yeah, you know, it costs you 10 grand. You put a new, a new like 10 grand. He might as well told us it would have been a gajillion dollars, yeah. right? And so we're like, okay, well, I guess we're moving. Yeah. And so we brought in a generator to run this thing to be able to deliver that first order. So we bring in this huge diesel-powered uh, generator. We're running it outside the building, running the cord, uh, you know, inside, throwing chunks of foam over the side of this, uh, you know, of this tub grinder yeah. to be able to, to make those first products. And, I mean, we probably broke down every, you know, 10, 20 minutes. And, but we, we got through it, and we wow. delivered that first order. And as they say, the rest is history. Yeah. So that was uh, in spring, of, uh, uh, spring summer of 98. Wow! Yeah, back they were doing a back to college uh, promotion, and then they kept it kept it going throughout the year. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So you you found a better way as one of your core values is today. <laughs> yeah, truly did. Um, so talk to me about then as you you straight hustling, you know, trying to get yep. business, trying to figure out how to actually execute on the business. As you guys started to scale up, talk to me about that journey. You know, the next even just like ten years past that, so like ninety eight to maybe 08, when you guys were maybe trying to get you know more firm process in place. Like, Talk to me about just kind of the, some of the growing pains of comfort research. Because yeah. you guys are doing some really cool things. I mean, you, you guys have a very intentional culture. You have clear yeah. core values. You have a really good brand equity like in the community um, it, it, from my perspective. And so I know that awesome, doesn't happen thanks. overnight. You yeah. know, So tell me about some of the steps and stumbling blocks that you guys had along the way. Yeah, I mean, in that time range, uh, you know, up to, you know, 2008, 2010, you know, we weren't very intentional about those things. I mean, culture is one of those things. You're going to have one uh, and you might as well be intentional about it. Uh, Well, we weren't really intentional about it in those uh, early days. I mean, we were just trying to like we were chasing opportunities and being, you know, entrepreneurs and just trying to, to figure out, you know, ways to make new product and new sales and uh, we had a lot of early success, um, you know, starting back in, uh, you know, in 98, you know, you fast forward to uh, 2003, 2004 timeframe, and we're doing like $5 million in, uh, you know, in sales, like everything was kind of was kind of working, we weren't making a lot of money. And, uh, but we were able to invest everything back into the business and the businesses, uh, you know, is growing. And um, at that time, we saw this competitor that was out there that was opening uh, up stores and malls. We're like, well, we know this uh, industry uh, better. We know the furniture landscape. We know housewares. We know all these things. Why don't we have our own concept? Because, shoot, up to that point in time, everything is working. Why wouldn't a retail store work? Right, so right. we go gangbusters, man, because why <laughs> would you just start with one when you can open three? Right, So right. we open three <laughs> <Naturally>. stores. <laughs> As one does. One in uh, Kalamazoo. It was a, um, uh, a kiosk. We opened up uh, our... Uh, uh, a bigger store in the Granville Mall, and then we opened up uh, another store in Novi at the Twelve Oaks Mall. And so 
we open up these stores and it's called Fizz Living. And it's all about this bright, fun environment with food chairs being front and center of uh, you know what we're doing. But we had a lot of different product from a lot of different com- companies. And basically it's like, this is how we chose product. I think that's cool. Let's buy it. All right. And you throw it in the store and see if it works. And apparently you need to be a little bit more intentional than that because we bought a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, just wasn't wasn't working, didn't work in the, you know, in the stores. People didn't care that we thought it was cool. Mm. And uh, so we spent a lot of time trying to figure out, uh, you know, these stores. We wanted to, you know, get it right. And we knew we were losing money uh, at, at the stores. And what ended up eventually happening was that um, as we're focusing all of our time and effort and funds trying to build up uh, these stores, we lost sight of the core. Mm. And what happened was uh, one day the bank, uh, you know, came to my business partner, George Julius. Um, We've been together with them since uh, 1999, November 99. And they came to George uh, and they said, uh, George, we're thinking about uh, calling the loan unless you sign on it. And he's like, well, I'm not going to sign on it. Um, We got ourselves into this, uh, you know, mess. We'll get ourselves out of it. And so luckily, uh, you know, with time, we were able to convince them, all right, don't don't shut us down. We know these stores are uh, losing money. We know how to, uh, you know, run this core business. So we shut down the stores and uh, we, you know, refocus on, uh, you know, on the core business. So it was the first time we'd ever really, we lost, uh, you know, money. Yeah. And that was a real tough lesson, man. Uh, when you think you know what you're doing and, uh, you know, you try something and that was kind of our first big, uh, you know, uh, failure. And it was not like a tiny failure. It, it yeah. was a punch in the mouth, uh, you know, failure because, it's pretty bad when the bank says, all right, you guys don't know what you're doing. We're going to shut you down. We're going to try to get every you know, yeah. penny uh, you know, back that we can because you guys are messing this up, man. And so uh, it was really formative you know, for me because uh, you know, up into that uh, you know, point in time, everything's uh, you know, working. We're talking about uh, you know, our successes amongst uh, you know, ourselves as, as a team. We weren't talking about what are the failure points, what are the things that we should be uh, you know, worried about. And so one of the things that uh, you know I've really come to be passionate about is making sure that I share my personal failures, I share the business failures with others because I think people can learn way more from that yeah. than just saying, "Oh, you know, we did this and that worked, and we did that, and you know that was amazing." No, man, every successful company and unsuccessful company has <laughs> stories of both. Yeah, and it, it is the unsuccess, uh, the the failures that I think others can really learn from. So I'm part of a peer group um, of, uh, of business owners and CEOs that we get together once a month. It's called Vistage. Yeah. And that was my promise to the, that group. And I asked them to hold me accountable to it as well. I didn't want to share with them all the good stuff, all the successes. I wanted to share uh, with them, hey, this is what we screwed up. Hey, can you give me advice on this? Because that's not uh, working. That's where you learn. And that's how yeah. you, uh, I, I really believe that's how you get better is trying something, failing, but make sure that you're always protecting that core. Yeah. How did that, how did that affect the core team to see that big <laughs> initiative? Like, yeah, we're going to do this, rah, 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 because, I mean, rallying people behind a vision, that's like the number one job of a co-founder, right? And setting that vision. And then you said, we set this vision over here, and then, oops, you know, we got to go back. We're going back to this core. Like, tell me about that shift and how that was communicated. First and- off, you're assuming we had a team. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, you know, at that point, I mean, it was Chip and I and, a, you know, a small group of, uh, you know, of, uh, you know, functional folks. I mean, we were just, 
we were just trying to survive and, and, and grow the thing. And so, you know, that was, uh, you know, in 2005 that we closed those stores down. And, you know, fast forward, uh, you know, five years, we were never intentional about a vision statement or a mission statement or identifying and using, uh, you know, core values at all mm. in those early stages. But, you know, luckily, we've surrounded ourselves with some, uh, you know, pretty smart folks uh, over the years, an advisory board and, uh, you know, a business partner as well in uh, George Julius that, you know, he was president of uh, Beverage America, a pretty big family-owned, uh, you know, company out of Holland. And some of his prior experiences um, at General Host and then Pillsbury and then with uh, Beverage America, he always felt that culture was a big part of the differentiating factor that led to their success, all of them. But he was never part of creating those cultures. He's like, man, I just went in and, like, I, I just tried to support what they were already, uh, you know, doing. You know, yeah. General Host, big company, Pillsbury, massive company, uh, you know, big family, uh, you know, run, uh, you know, company with, uh, you know, Beverage America. And so we had talked about it, but we were never intentional about it. And we were kind of at another inflection point in around uh, 2010 where company's growing again. We've doubled the size. We're doing like $10 million, uh, you know, in sales. And George comes to Chip and I, he's like, you know, you guys should really think about putting together a strategic plan. <laughs> and How many years into this? You're like, okay, yeah, now we need like, a plan. Well, we get, we're 13 <laughs> years down the path. We've never done it. Why is it even really important? So, you know, if you've never done it before, you know, how do you, you figure out what, uh, you know, elements to even put into it? So spend about three days in, uh, uh, I, I guess we're in Chicago, uh, outside of O'Hare Airport, at American Management Association. We spent, uh, you know, three days chip. Uh, myself and my other business partner, Jason Julius. And so we spent three days learning how to put together that traditional uh, strategic plan. And so we spent three days doing it and we're getting jazzed. We're like, okay, vision statement, mission statement, core values. Let's start identifying uh, you know, these things. And so we did what most companies do. We did have a uh, you know a small core group of you know leadership team at uh, at that time. So we got everybody together and we round table it. And this is where it gets uh, you know tricky. Because when you are asking for feedback on core values and people, you know, say things like, you know, innovation or integrity or uh, building trust or like all, all these things, it's tough to say no to some of those things. Yeah. I believe that uh, those type of things, those are just kind of the, the price of admission for being, uh, you know, in the business. I mean, just because we don't have integrity listed as one of our core values, are we suggesting that anybody in our business should act without integrity? Yeah. Absolutely not. But at that time, we didn't know. So we ended up having this list of 10 core values in the, in the beginning with that, that, that first strategic plan. And so I talk a ton about uh, you know core values, but I also uh, talk about core uh, the strategic planning piece because those two things have to go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. There's a quote by Peter Drucker um, that culture will eat strategy for breakfast, mm -hmm. and I always used to kind of uh, like go counter to that uh, quote. I'm like, oh no, Peter Drucker had it uh, you know wrong. It's not you know culture is not more important than strategy. They have to go hand in hand yeah. because. If you just are focused on, uh, you know, culture, ping pong tables can only go so far. Yeah. If you got a great strategy, but a, a crappy culture, well, you read about those companies in the news, yeah. right? So how do they go, go hand in hand? And what I've come to, you know, realize, and I, I wish I could ask the question uh, to him, uh, but what I think what he really meant is that as we've seen our own journey progress, and when we finally got the core values right, 
those stayed exactly the same. Yeah. Those have been unwavering, unchanging strategy. Oh, that has moved around. That has shifted as we identify new opportunities, as something new is working. That's when uh, what I think that he really you know, meant is like you, you identify that, that culture, that, those core values. That's really going to be an unwavering uh, you know, piece. That is more important than the, the strategy because the strategy will change over yeah. time. And we have seen it ourselves. But anyways, that first crack at our strategy, and it was uh, It was successful, right? Right off the bat, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was like right. perfect, ideal. <laughs> you know, George told us, uh, you know, in the beginning, he's like, it's going to take you five years to, like, get this strategy piece right. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't believe him at all. Yeah. Well, he was absolutely right. It took us, uh, it probably took us five years to get the strategy piece, uh, you know, finally, you know, finally right. That first one was 144 pages long. And after that, uh, you know, that, that first year you pull it out and you look at what you wrote down for vision and mission and your core values and you got your customer analysis, your vendor analysis, you know, your SWOT analysis, your pest analysis, all this crap in here. And it's like, I'm a big believer that a strategy is there to guide and align the team, right? They want to know where they're going, mm -hmm. right? If you got a great, uh, you know, culture, they still want to know, hey, where are we going? What are the things that we're going to be doing and what are the things we're not going to be doing? And after, you know, spending so much time putting this 140-page document uh, together, you dust it off a, a year later, and it's like, what did this do to guide and align us? Yeah. We didn't even reference this after we wrote it. So how is this helping us? How is this helping our, our team? And that, so that really started a, a process where we're like, okay, this is clearly not working. And I mentioned earlier, we've always been uh, blessed with having a lot of uh, smart folks uh, you know, around us. And in 2007, we, we created an advisory board. And one of the guys that's on that advisory board is Craig Hall. Well, I'm complaining pretty vocally to Craig about how the strategic planning is stupid and it's not working. We got to find a better way. I wish I could just get a, you know, a, a summary together that we can then share with everybody because 144 pages is too much to digest, not only for us, but for everybody uh, you know, else. How could we simplify this thing? And he's like, well, have you ever read the Mastering the Book, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits by Vern Harnish? I'm like, no, I have not. But it was in my reading list. And so I go at it and, uh, you know, read this, uh, you know, book. And the, the author, Vern Harnish, has some beautifully, like, beautiful mind stuff in there about how to put together a one-page strategic plan. But, oh, my God, the visual, it is so ugly. You got to read the <laughs> darn book in order to understand what the heck he's talking about. I'm like, okay. But the idea of big ideas flowing down to the, you know, the, the measurement and that, you know, and then everything else, uh, you know, in between and having that all be on one page, that was the beauty of it all. Yeah. And so we just started with a spreadsheet. We took the big ideas that we had at that time. It was vision and mission. And then we took that and we, we flowed uh, everything into there. And we kept some of the other stuff like the SWOT analysis and some other pieces. And like if you were to look at our one-page strategic plan from 2012 to 2019, the one common theme there is simplicity, hmm. right? How can we make it simpler so we can communicate to everybody, so we can guide the line not only ourselves but the rest of the team? And so we continued to, to work on that, uh, you know, plan, and we got better with the visual, uh, you know, over time, and it just got simpler and simpler and simpler so that we can tell people what we're going to do, but the other pieces, what are you not going to do? What is the stuff that, hey, this is a no-go, we're not going down, uh, you know, this particular, uh, you know, path? doesn't mean you don't talk about it, but it just means, hey, today, where we're at, it's going to take a shift in strategy to now say, okay, for us, it was, you know, licensing um, uh, other brands like Disney and Harley and things yeah. like that. 
We are not going to do that. We tried that. doesn't work. We think that we bring uh, you know, more value. It kind of commoditized our product. Mm. So how are we building our brand? Yeah. How are we building uh, that you know, using our, our, our platform? So that was one of the things that is an example of some of the things that we weren't going to do. And so we continue to not do that. And like it comes up every once in a while, every six months, it yeah. seems like. People are like, oh, we, there's a million dollar opportunity out here if we could get the Disney license, uh, you know. And, you know, we always talk about it. You got to be open to that stuff. You don't want to shut these things down. Yeah. But it's like, okay, let's dig into it. How, how would it really, uh, you know, work? How does it, you know, fit within the rest of the strategic plan? Does that take away from our other areas of, uh, you know, of, of, of focus? Yeah. But getting back to trying to simplify you know, I mentioned vision and mission statements. We were always big fans of the vi- vision statement. They're nice. They're short. They can provide, uh, you know, directions and ideas for folks. But the mission statements, I find, typically get a little bit long-winded. Mm. I mean, it sounds like a, a group of folks just got together in the, in, in the room, yeah. and they, they kind of fought it out, and they come out half happy, a little bit bloodied and bruised, you know, from the, uh, you know, the fight, but they're happy because they got their three words in there. Right. And then someone else got their three words in there and it's all strung together. And our, like, I can't even remember ours. I never could, which is another, you know, if you can't remember it, then, you know, you should probably just get rid of it or work on trying to find a better way to, to simplify that. How do you expect anyone on your team to remember it? If you it, can't remember it, you got you know, it, it's man. Ridiculous. Yeah. And our core values were the same way. I mentioned how we kind of tried to roundtable, uh, you know, those things. And we had this laundry list of things that I think it was Craig Hall again. He's like, well, that'd be really sweet if you guys were all those things. It was all aspirational, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't identifying who we really, uh, you know, were. And uh, I think that the tipping point for me, at least, was I was given a tour uh, to uh, somebody and we have our strategic plan, uh, you know, it's like six feet tall and printed up on, you know, on the wall. And I'm going through our strategic plan with, and I'm talking about our core values, proudly talking about our core values. And I get to number eight and I can't remember it. I can't remember number eight. I can't remember nine. I can't remember 10. And that's pretty embarrassing. Yeah. I believe that not, uh, you know, a lot changes until you feel pain or you're embarrassed over something. Well, <laughs> that was a little painful <laughs> not being able to remember. It was embarrassing to do this in front of somebody. Yeah. It's like, man, there's a better, there's an opportunity to, to do this. But what I found was that there was a lot of talk about culture, but there wasn't a lot of like, how the heck do I go about identifying a good set of core values? And how do I know when it's, uh, you know, there, there's some you know, best practices around what good core values, you know, look like. There was nothing, right? So for us, we just ended up talking it out, keeping on trying, uh, you know, something. We, at first it was, all right, we're going to reconfigure these uh, core values, right? Mm. So we put them in a circle. Okay, a visual is going to help us, uh, you know, with this. And then we put it into a pyramid and we're going to be innovative. We're going to be fun and we're going to be awesome to our employees and we're going to be awesome to our customers. And it's all going to lead up to profitable growth, Right. Yeah. And then somebody else said, well, isn't that a funnel? Isn't that funneling down? So then we flipped the, you know, flipped the pyramid <laughs> upside down. It's all going to funnel down to profitable, uh, you know, growth. And it's like, that's a core value, profitable growth. Like, you know, kind of like with integrity, it's like, that's, you're a for-profit business. If you don't have profits, right, that, then you're, you're not, not going to be in business anymore. <laughs> that's called a charity. That's a not-for-profit. So these were things that just, you had to, you know, you had to do. And it, didn't really, none of them really identified who we really were. I mean, we talked about innovation. We talked about some of these other things, continuous improvement, but nothing was really resonating until one day we're sitting in this advisory board meeting and one of the guys uh, on there, Jeff Hutzel, 
I will be ever uh, indebted and grateful to him. He kind of makes this, uh, you know, comment. He's like, man, you guys just find a better way to do everything that you're doing. And the meeting goes on, and we don't really have a big, uh, you know, discussion about it. And I wake up that night. I'm like, holy crap. That dude just gave us one of our core values. That is something that we're trying to do in everything that we're doing, whether it's trying to make a beanbag, trying to come up with a strategic plan, trying to identify our core values. We're trying to find a better way in everything that we're doing. We're, I always describe to people during the interview process, like, if you're one that, you know, likes to do the, do the same thing and repeat and like just dial, uh, you know, uh, dial it in and just then chunk it out every single day you are going to hate it here because mm. there's one thing that is for sure. What we're doing today is going to change tomorrow because yeah. we're going to try to find a better way in everything, uh, you know, that we're doing. So anyways, so I wake up, uh, you know, in the middle of the night, I'm like, he just gave us this core value. So I write this thing down. I can't sleep. I'm like, all right, are there other words and terms that we're using that we're not even thinking about, right? That it yeah. just comes up over and yeah. over again. And so this idea of, ex you know, expecting the best, expecting the best of our, uh, ourselves, um, I love the way that George says, he says, expect the best, screw the rest. I'm like, yeah, damn straight, man. Yeah. How are we setting our own expectations for ourselves and uh, the team? So I write this down. And the next day I see, I see Chip. I'm like, Chip, man, I think I got it. <laughs> expect the best and find a better way. Two of our core values. What do you think? And he just looks at me. And so he's a pretty laid back dude. And he's like, it's like, and we want to do the right thing. I'm like, yeah, man. <laughs> That's it. And th that was it. And we're like, we're like, is that it? Are we done? I think we're done. So then we started, uh, you know, talking to, you know, our, uh, our business partners about it, our advisors about it. And everybody's like, yeah, that feels right, you know. Yeah. And so now fast forward, it's like, okay, now we've identified our, our core values, right? We've got find a better way, expect the best, and do the right thing. Now, how the heck are we being purposeful about building that up? Mm -hmm. That's another thing. I was really, you know, frustrated out there. It's like, all right, we got core values. What do we do with them? Yeah. Are we just going to put it on the T-shirt? Is it just going to live in the strategic plan? Is it, uh, you know, just going to be something that are words on the wall, right? Everybody does uh, that stuff, but that doesn't mean that they're living it, Yeah. right? How are we living it on a day-to-day, -day, uh, you know, basis? And so we started with uh, an award system. Because how can we recognize people that are living it on a day-to-day -day basis? So for us, it just started with the Fab Award. How can someone submit an idea on how they are going to find a better way to do something? And we don't really care what that something is. And how do we make sure that we're not the suggestion box company, right? Yeah. That we're not just... Uh, you know, that company with a little wooden box, uh, you know, somewhere in the plant with the little slot on top and someone has the guts to come by and just drop the suggestion in there. Nothing's ever done with it. And by the way, could you please tell me, I, uh, this is a riddle I have not figured out. Why is there a lock on the suggestion box? <laughs> you don't want someone to like steal the ideas? Yeah. Like, isn't that the point? Apparently. <laughs> yeah. Please steal the ideas. How are we going to use them? How are we getting better? That's what it's, uh, you know, intended use is for. But Inevitably, what happens is someone throws a suggestion in, nothing's done with it, or maybe something is done with it, but it's not communicated back uh, to the team or to the person that made the suggestion. Yeah. And then it turns out they're talking uh, to their buddy. It's like, yeah, I told them to do that suggestion like four months ago. They haven't done anything with it. Well, maybe they have. Mm -hmm. Maybe it hasn't been communicated. Who knows? I wanted to make sure that we weren't doing that. So we put the onus back on the people that are making the suggestion. It is your responsibility to go out and implement. And so we were talking a little bit, uh, you know, early before this, uh, you know, interview. 
and I was explaining that we've even made a recent change, right? We've had the Fab Award for about six years now, but we've made another change to the Fab Award to try to encourage people to go out and, and implement those ideas, their ideas. And so we'll support them with time and money and other resources, uh, you know, if they need the maintenance department or the finance department or whatever it may be, like we wanna make sure that we're supporting them, uh, you know, with that, but they've gotta be the driver because we can't be as we're trying to, you know, uh, scale and grow. And I mean, we're trying to find a better way on how we're supposed to act as owners and leaders of, uh, you know, the company. Yeah. So how are they, uh, you know, the ones taking those actions? So what we started doing is with the Fab Award, the concept is, okay, you throw out your idea, we vote on it. Um, we've actually changed it so that, uh, you know, we're getting more people that are actually coming up with the ideas as part of the, uh, the, the voters, right? We didn't want it to be just the leadership team that is saying, hey, this is the best idea. Well, who's making the most impact? Well, wouldn't it be the people that are being affected by the yeah. idea. Yeah. So we've tried to implement that a little bit. And then, uh, so it's a $2,500 award. You get half up front because you won. All right. The other half comes when you try to implement. And we're not talking about successful implementation, just how are you trying to find a better way? Did you try, try something? If it failed, fine. Don't care because you're going to learn from that too because it may take you down another path. And so we've really tried to use that to, to really be part of the spirit of finding a better way and people going out and implementing those ideas. And then the rest of it, uh, you know, the, the whole system is making sure that we're recognizing people that uh, are living our core values, how we're rewarding them, either with money or paid time off, and then how are we making sure that we're consistently repeating those messages. Yeah. So in the beginning, we just started by doing all right, here, we got this one award. It's the Fab Award. And we did it, uh, you know, every, every three months. Well, we kind of just fell into this piece because guess what? We got three core values. Apparently, every business runs on quarters. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, you got these uh, quarters that uh, you've got throughout, uh, you know, the year with three core values. Every quarter, we're able to go through all three of them. So each month, we're setting a, uh, you know, setting the tone. It's like, okay, we're going to focus on expecting, uh, you know, the best. And that one's a peer-to-peer -peer award. Right. So yeah. somebody else has to say, this is for, uh, you know, Michael, he expects the, you know, the best in these, uh, you know, different ways. And this is how he's making a difference and finding a better way and doing the right thing at comfort research. And so that's just, you know, handed down and that comes with the week's paid vacation. And then the last one, do the right thing. That's really more about not how you're doing the right thing at comfort research, but how are you just doing the right thing in life? Mm -hmm. I, I love the way that uh, our head of IT, uh, Mark Slagle, says it. He's like, comfort wants good people, not just good employees. Yeah. And that's always really stuck with me. Uh, those, those were his words. I'm like, yeah, that was the spirit of it all. And we never said it as eloquently as, uh, you know, as he did. And he's actually one of the Dirt Award, uh, you know, winners. And, you know, he's a guy that he won because he started fostering these, uh, you know, kids. Thought it was going to be a couple weeks, turned into a couple months, now years. Mm -hmm. uh, like, you want to talk about someone doing the right thing in life? Yeah. Where, like, these kids, six months, two years, and four years old, needed, needed a helping hand, and he just took it on. No questions asked. Wow. I mean, that's that's cool. Yeah. And to be able to celebrate, uh, you know, people like that, that uh, that, that warms my heart in a, a really big, uh, big way. But the idea and how we're reinforcing them, because now we have a real life person with one of our core values that took some action of some sort that we're now able to do this in front of the entire company. And we do a simulcast uh, between our different locations. Yeah. And so at this all company meeting, we're talking about finding a, you know, a better way or expect the best or do the right thing. And now we bring that person that, you know, uh, one, 
We're celebrating them in front of the entire, uh, you know, company and saying, all right, this is what Michael did. This is why he is expecting the, you know, the best. And um, then we take a picture with them. And then that goes on to our uh, wall of awesome, our wall of fab or wall of dirt, where that uh, winner and that core value and what they did around that uh, core value continues to live on. So now as new people come on in, like, oh, yeah, Michael's one of the guys that uh, like personifies expecting the best. And so now they've got a real life person, real life example, or maybe with the Fat Find a Better Way Award. Oh, it was Billy that did that? I use that every single day. I had no idea. Yeah. You know, you think these things just happen. No. You know, I mean, people love to talk about, uh, you know, teams um, and being team oriented and saying we. It's like, no, individuals do this. Yes, with the support of others. And we're going to celebrate those people that are doing that. Yeah. You know, that's that's what we really wanted to, you know, to, to do. And yes, it takes the team. And yes, you have to have, you know, the, you know, the collective, uh, you know, we, because a lot of those ideas would go nowhere if it wasn't for the support of other folks within the right. business. But how are we celebrating those that, uh, you know, are, are, are making making the difference? And, oh, if you're a manager, you are not eligible for this award because there's just an expectation of that, right? Mm. That's what you get paid to do yeah. as a uh, as a manager, as opposed to the people that are really making a difference, uh, you know, doing the you know the work every single day. And it's just been it's been really uh, fun, and we have seen how recognizing those folks, how people are really buying in, it has created more of a family atmosphere. It has uh, been one of our strongest uh, tools that we have in our toolbox. We're not looking for uh, 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 people to hire. Like we've got resumes that people are applying because they want to be part of the culture, mm, right? Yeah, it's yeah. not that oh, I'm looking for a job and there's this open position. I, I can't even tell you the number of times where people are like, hey, uh, you know, if there's a, a job that ever. Actually, I was talking to this gal today, um, and uh, she's like, I just called up your HR director. I didn't know if there was a job, uh, you know, available. Well, lo and behold, she ends up uh, being qualified for this. For this one job that we have, that's, and, great. that's uh, awesome. Yeah, we made that's what you want, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, be... they're already drinking the Kool Aid before yeah. they walked in the door. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's all smoke and mirrors, man. <laughs> Wait until you get in and see what it's really like. Yeah. <laughs> now we're pretty transparent, and uh, yeah. you know what, uh, you know what we put out there is what it's uh, you know really like um, to uh, to folks. But the other uh, you know pieces that we struggled with is identifying that set of core values. Yeah. How do you go about identifying that set of core values and how do you know when uh, you're, you, you get there? And so over the years, I've, uh, at first I just came up, uh, you know, with three rules that, you know, it's like, don't do more than four, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it always seems if I'm talking to somebody about core values and they're like, oh yeah, we've got five. I'm like, well, number three kind of sounds like number five. Could you combine them? Are they, you know, one in the, you know, in the same, you really don't, you really don't need that, that many to really identify what your culture is, what your core values are, yeah. right? And the thing is, you can't execute on celebrating those and actually enforce it, not enforcing, but like um, empowering people to do that and celebrating people that actually live them out. So like that's I think that's a really cool thing about you guys that you're doing these fab awards and these different things that it's not and it's not just an email that goes out. It's not like, oh, we got a gift certificate for Michael because he did this and it's just in the company newsletter. It's like, no, we're doing a simulcast and we're talking about this and we're making it so real and so important and elevating it to the top that that actually sparks the change is what I assume. You know, that's no, that, that is driving right. everything. Right. It's not like this. You can't do that at that level. I don't assume if you have 10 core values. Right. Yeah. You, know, you, you would you wouldn't have any time to do that. You'd right. be. So by limiting and it, really you, one, can. you would have an opportunity to talk about each core value 
one time a year. Yeah. Right. And it's all about that consistent repetition about going back time and time again and giving real examples and celebrating those people, man. I mean, you should like the reactions for, I, I, I love it, man. Cause different people act differently when you bring them up on uh, you know, on stage, we've got this little <laughs> makeshift stage that we have at comfort research. And so they come up on stage and you know, some people kind of melt and like, like, don't look at me, don't look <laughs> at me. Other people are like, yeah, you know, and it's, it's all about celebrating, uh, you know, them. Yeah. and that stuff is memorable, man. Yeah. But getting back to, uh, uh, the whole, what does a good set of core values look like? Because I'd never seen anything, uh, you know, out there like that. And so it's like, all right, I think this is what it's got to look like. Don't have more than four. It needs to be authentic to your uh, to you. Don't be aspirational. Don't do what we did. Mm-hmm. Create the laundry list and have yeah. it be, hey, you know what? We hope to be this, uh, you know, someday. And then they got to be memorable. And I don't care how you do it, right? For each company, it's going to be a little bit, uh, a little bit different. One of my favorites, uh, you know, is from my buddy Wade Wyatt, uh, his, uh, you know, company ITS. He and his team centered their core values all around comic book references. Well, they're a software company, man, yeah. right? What is kind of some of the common theme and the common like language of some of those uh, uh, developers? So they they all had passion around these comic books. So they used references to that. I didn't get it, but they're not trying to talk to me. Right? They're not right. trying to hire me. Yeah. Right? They want to hire folks that kind of are, are speaking the same language, and and for them that was a you know great reference. Yeah. And um, I mentioned another company, uh, Elzinga Volkers, uh, earlier in our as we were talking. They have one core value. Be unmistakable. I think that's great, man. You don't need three. You don't need four, right? It's like whatever works for you. Yeah. Simpler, the better. The more authentic it is to you, the better. And then I, I've recently think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of toying around. Like, I think there's a fourth rule. It's like, don't do the stuff that's the price of admission, right? Mm-hmm. You know, profitability, integrity, uh, you know, honesty, you know, those types of things. Yeah, of course, you want to do those things. There's an expectation for those things. But are those authentic to you? Are those yeah. unique to your organization? Yeah. No, man. Yeah. You don't operate with those, uh, you know, th- those things. You gone, man. Yeah. <laughs> Either as a business or an individual, like those, you just have an expectation that those are are, are going to be be happening. That's no, I think that's huge, and the the authenticity piece is is critical because I think you know the key to doing it, what you guys are doing with core values or even like just people like managers. You have to care. That's the price of admission, right? You have to care about your people. But no doubt. if you're trying to copy something that someone else is prescribing or what you think is the best practice, which is you know five to ten core values, it's gonna it's it's gonna come across as inauthentic. Um, and so I think that's to me, it sounds like that's the shift I heard with you guys. It's like you're trying to fit into this other mold that wasn't you, and it wasn't until you had to like come up with this thing that someone saw already happening. It's like, yeah, let's just elevate that. Yeah. So I think that's, to me, that seems so critical that people get out of that kind of way of thinking to think about like, okay, what are we actually doing already? And if we can't come up with it, how do we ask our people say, what do you like, what do you care? What, like, what do we value here? You know, what are we doing? And then kind of chew on that and process that, you know? Yeah, culture and core values needs to start at the top. And I'm not suggesting that the CEO should uh, or, or owner should go lock themselves in a, you know, in a room and they're going to you know, emerge with this miraculous new set of uh, core values. No, you got to seek input, man. Mm. Right? But if the CEO or the, the, the leader of the business or the, the, the owner, whoever it may be, whoever's at that, uh, you know, in, in that top uh, you know, role and is responsible for that, 
they need to be 100% uh, you know, bought in. And not just to the words, but also how are you driving it and how are you pushing it through? And it needs to be authentic to, to them as well. And so I'm not suggesting that it's just like, what does the leader look like? No, you gotta like do it for the, uh, you know, the organization. But if leadership isn't bought in, dude, it will fail. I've seen it time and time, uh, you know, again. And with bigger companies, I think like all of a sudden that becomes like more and more of a challenge. Like, how do you do that? And that's something that we're talking about. It's like, how do we make sure that we stay true to this as we grow? I mean, just having, you know, for our small company, just having three locations spread throughout the country, Michigan, Tennessee, Utah, right? We've got 75 employees down in uh, Tennessee of our 250 employees. That's a big chunk of folks that we don't get to interact with uh, on a Mm -hmm. daily basis. Yeah. So how do you find, uh, you know, tools to continue to, uh, you know, develop it, but also let them be them too. It's like, we're not going to come in and corporate says, this is the way it has to be done. And, you know, that's one thing that, and we just fell into this, this, like, we just kind of got lucky. That wasn't intentional in the beginning. Like our core values can be, can, can weave in and in, in out of certain different situations, different cultures, right? I mean, if you just think about, okay, you got folks in the Midwest versus folks in the South versus, uh, you know, folks in, uh, you know, in Utah, there's different belief systems out there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, we can't just force them inside our box. We have to embrace that and make sure that they are good fits within, uh, you know, our culture as well. Yeah. But it ends up looking a little bit different than it does at, you know, at HQ. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. You got to embrace those differences, uh, you know, as well and make sure that you allow yourself uh, the flexibility to have a set of core values where it's not just, you know, black and white. It's all about the spirit of it all. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's that's key. And I, I would ask, I mean, as we kind of close and, and wind it down, but I would ask, what what do you feel like are some of the biggest hurdles um, to that? I mean, we talked about developing core values. There's hurdles there that people are trying to copy what other people are doing. But just generally in like instilling those things and running that and actually um, living out the core values, what are some of the hurdles that you see some of your peers or even other things that you guys dealt with as you scaled up that were potential pitfalls that you like looking back now, you would say, oh, I wish I would have done that a little bit different. Or you see people getting hung up on things that maybe you guys aren't hung up on now. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I, I, th- I think that, you know, the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest one is, um, you know, people will spend a ton of time trying to do this. And this wasn't true for us because, I mean, we knew what we were, what we had wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, but folks go out there and, you know, they fall in love, you know, with this idea of these are the core values that we've identified as, a, you know, as a team. And it kind of goes, it's like, oh, is that really important to you? Is that just the price admission? Is that, uh, you know, authentic to your own company? Like when it, just doing kind of the simple list of, uh, you know, words, uh, you know, as well. Uh, I think that you got to be a little bit more, uh, you know, descriptive. Um, I know you had Mike Harrison uh, the other day. I love one of his uh, core values, super memorable. I will scoop my own dog's poop. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And his people know what that means. They yeah. live in it, uh, you know, on a daily basis. And he uses uses that core value to help drive the, you know, the business. And he does it through visuals. And <laughs> if you ever been to their <laughs> office, man, they got someone scooping the dog's poop, uh, yeah. like a picture yeah. up on the wall. I, I think I've that's badass, that. <laughs> man. I think that's great. That is uh, that is super cool. That is super authentic, uh, you know, to them. And I think that they just do a great job over it. We're excited doing that as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, that's cool. Hey, thanks for coming in, Matt. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I uh, like. I, I love what uh, you're doing, and uh, you know, finding a little bit more out about uh, you know Waypoint, and um, like the more I dig into it, it's like that that is that is really cool. How you're trying to, like, how are you helping uh, you know others help their own organizations? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's what part of what we're trying to do with our our culture tours. Like, all right, we've struggled with this. Yeah. We're just going to keep this inside, or what if we just took a little bit of time? And we shared this, uh, you know, with others. Hopefully it can help them. If not, you know what? I tried. I'm not waiting until, uh, you know, I'm retired to try to start, uh, you know, giving back. How can we all give back? And I think I think you're doing a little bit of that, uh, you know, with Waypoint, man. So kudos to you and your team, man. Cool. I love it. Thank you very much. Yeah, you bet. And uh, you could check out uh, moldyourown.com, um, which is Matt's blog. You know, you guys, you have some good stuff there, which you're also doing to, to give back. So check, check him I'm out. Trying. I'm yeah. trying. I'm <laughs> trying. All right. Thank you so much for listening. It's our goal to help you build an amazing team. So if this episode helped you, then please share it with a friend so it helps us get the word out about the show. Managing the Way is a production of Waypoint, a tool built for you, the manager, to help you foster an amazing team. Check it out at waypointhq.com. And if you have any feedback for the show, we'd love to hear from you. You email us at podcast at waypointhq.com.